Morning, church. How are we this morning? Good? Now, as you can see, I am not quite Mark. I haven't upgraded to the iPad, but I do have a pad of paper. Um, and so, uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. Some of you last week mentioned to me that my presence was missed here on Sunday, uh, which was 100% correct. I wasn't in church last Sunday. I know that's a faux pas for pastors, but let me just give you a little reason why I wasn't here. So last weekend, the junior high youth went to their winter retreat at Camp Caroline, and one of their leaders and I tagged along to make sure that they left the weekend fully sleep-deprived and full of sugar. Actually, it was us that was sleep-deprived, and yes, they were full of sugar, and that was why. Um, and so, however, how does this tie into the message today? I have a little story to share from that weekend that I think can get us into Jonah 4. We were heading down to Camp Caroline, and as you head down, you come up to a decision point. You can turn onto Highway 11 and take the quickest route there, or you can take the best route there. Sometimes the quickest isn't always the best. The best route is the one where you can go down to Gasoline Alley. Who knows what Gasoline Alley is? Who knows that Peter's is at Gasoline Alley? Pretty much everybody that's ever driven past there has probably stopped in there. This is a place that is known for their milkshakes. And so, youth, sugar, candy, cold drinks, all this stuff, we stopped and hit six different restaurants with only five people in the car. So um, we, we, we made it something memorable for them. And so they stopped and grabbed milkshakes. They all went in. I didn't go in. I went over to Pita Pit trying to be healthy. And um, then came back, and they all came out. And so when they came out, there was an anomaly, but everybody came out with their own milkshake. There were some good concoctions, vanilla Oreo. It's pretty good. There were some that were trying to get in the Christmas spirit but weren't quite embracing winter yet, so it was eggnog and mango together. There was one on the way back that was even kind of worse. It was marshmallow, butterscotch, and mango, so I don't really know what they were trying to do with that, but that sounded gross to me. But the anomaly was that one person came out of Peter's that went in without a milkshake. So weird. Why do you go to Peter's? Their food isn't that good. Um, you, there's many other options as we hit up. Their milkshakes are what you go for. So what's up? And so everybody kind of recognized this. I recognized it first and pointed out, where's your milkshake? I will leave this person unnamed so that they will not be berated after the service. However, um, said person said, I don't like milkshakes. Said person is a youth. They don't like milkshakes? What? How? All right, so basically this started, the FBI interrogation playbook came out, we went through the whole thing, and by the end of it, this was, these are some of the things we asked. We asked, do you like milk? You gotta get the baseline questions in, right? Do you like milk? Yes. Do you like ice cream? Yes. Do you like cold drinks? Maybe that's the issue. Nope, they like cold drinks. Okay. Do you like sugar? As I've already said, that's pretty clear that every youth does. So finally, we ask him a question that we think might have, might have tripped him up. Do you like fun? Yes, I like fun. We were suspicious at this point, though. We didn't quite understand how he could go in and not get a milkshake. How does this tie to Jonah 4, though? No, I'm not about to claim that milkshakes are the reason for Nineveh's repentance in chapter 3. But... Assuming that certain people are beyond saving, like someone who doesn't like milkshakes, 
is where we find Jonah today. Jonah sees the Ninevites repenting and knows all about their past, and he thinks that they should or could be beyond saving, and he is mad. Before we get into Jonah's response, though, let's take a quick refresher for those of us that may not have been here throughout this whole series as to how we got to this chapter four in Jonah, the last chapter. Chapter one, we see the call to Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach this message, and he immediately does the thing that you think prophets should do in the Old Testament and runs away. Um, and so that's what Jonah does. Then he gets thrown overboard into the sea and a fish swallows him up, followed by him being vomited out of the fish, not even good enough for the fish's stomach, gets kicked out of there, and then he ends up begrudgingly turning and going to Nineveh, which we think, hey, this is a turning point. He's finally getting it. Jonah goes and does his thing, but he's unhappy about it. Nineveh's response to Jonah's proclamation is repenting, which is kind of what the point of his message should have been, but Jonah's still mad, and God relents on his judgment for Nineveh. That brings us to Jonah's response in Jonah 4. So if you'd like to, you can open your Bibles at this point, grab it, turn to Jonah chapter 4. If you're having a little bit of trouble trying to find it, flip through really quickly, and if you hit Obadiah, you've gone a little bit too far, or you're really, really close, so stop. Because Jonah's really short, it's like a page long, so it's in there. And if you have a little bit more trouble, you can always just use the index. But it will also be on the screen, so if you want to take the easy way out, it'll be up there. Now I'm going to read from the ESV today, and it's intentional, but the Pew Bibles are NIV. So these are different translations, both good, both accurate, um, but the nuance in the ESV is something I want to pick up on. So maybe you'll pick up on it too as you follow along in the NIV. And since that is too small for me to see, I feel like Mark. <laughs> Gonna grab my Bible. <laughs> Before Obadiah, there you go. So it reads like this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to him, do you do well to be angry? Yeah, I think so. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked that plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, <coughs> excuse me, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, 
It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, sorry, lost my place. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. We're gonna take a quick look at Jonah's response here, and we're gonna also look at God's response. And then we're gonna flip the order and dig deep into how God responded, and, and maybe look at how we fit a little bit more than we'd like to believe into Jonah to end. So what can we immediately glean from Jonah? He's displeased and he's angry. In verses two to four, we see Jonah praying, but he's in Nineveh, and it's a good assumption that he kind of lets the cat out of the bag here, because the Ninevites can hear him. And so he, this prayer reveals to the Ninevites that their repentance actually is making God relent. So this is a great disaster to Jonah. This is not what he wants. So that's point number one we can easily see there. The second point is highlighted in these verses here. The words in yellow are I, me, and my statements. This theme of Jonah being self-centered throughout this entire book, that he has the right perspective, is revealed here in just these three verses where he eight times uses those words. He's overreacting again. I'd rather die. And I say again because he does it twice in this chapter but he doesn't explicitly say it before, but he does it in his actions when he asks the fishermen or the, the travelers in the boat to throw him overboard. Kill me first. I'm not gonna turn from my ways. Just throw me overboard and you'll be saved. Rather than me repenting and being able to turn around and go back to where God's called me, just, I'd rather die. Who else overreacts to situations that they don't particularly like? In my personal experience, as a child, I overreacted a lot. And even maybe now, I can do the same thing. But Jonah here is acting like a child. How do we know that he's acting like a child? Well, he prays angry. He kind of stomps his feet at stuff that is counter to his own will. Takes his stuff and leaves. I'm taking my toys and leaving. And so he goes and packs up and sits outside of Nineveh. He thinks he can do it alone still in that same instance where he builds his own shelter, which we later find out that God has to fill in the gaps with a vine to fill. And again, the proclamation of, I'd rather die than do what you asked me to do. Is this something we can see in our own lives? We know God. We know he forgives because he has forgiven us. Yet we still can get focused on ourselves. We can react to situations, fly off the handle, and maybe even once or twice, we've packed up our stuff and left. I remember when I was, speaking of overreacting as a child, I remember when between the ages of 11 and 13, I packed up my stuff and I left home. Now, uh, I was between 11 and 13, so I don't really have a mode of transportation that gets me very far. 
um, outside of sheer will, at which that point was kind of led to the point where you get hungry. And so I went away to my grandparents' house. And so some of you here who know me know that my grandparents' house is a really strong power move for me to leave home and go to because they live next door. And um, so I went there, I was just fighting with my mom, and, which was common <laughs> as a teenager. And uh, I felt that that was gonna be better because grandparents don't really wanna raise their grandchildren. They wanna spoil them. And so up to this point, I, that's what they did. Candy, ice cream, milkshakes, you know, the good things in life. And so that was pretty good for me, but sadly, uh, that lasted about a day. But not sadly, but my real strong power move lasted about a day and I was only a house away. Acting like a child, overreacting. This is something we can all kind of see in our lives too. But what is God's response? Is it that he cracks his imaginary whip on his prophet? No. God's response is one of compassion and caring with a simple question like this. Do you do well to be angry? He uses it twice in this chapter. Both times where Jonah wants to die, as he says. The second thing that God does, the second thing we can glean immediately from this book is that God has compassion on Jonah as he grows the vine up and fills in that shelter that Jonah's built for himself to give him, as it says in the chapter, comfort, ease from his discomfort. Parental compassion is something probably a lot of us can understand. I personally haven't been on the giving end of the compassion yet, but I have received a ton of compassion from my parents, and probably a lot of us here have as well, where instead of overreacting and flying off the handle, they react with the simple question like God does here, do you do well to be angry? Why are you so mad? Simple question that gets you to think about your perspective. Jonah misses it, but that's the point there. And the growing of the vine, a parent's compassion, where you yell at them, where you pack up your bags and leave, they welcome you back with open arms. So as we said, those are the quick looks at both of those areas. We're gonna dig a little bit deeper into God's response here, because I think that that vine, that plant that grows up is the key to understanding all of Jonah. To do that, we're gonna look a little bit deeper at that little nuance that the ESV had over the NIV, which is the word appointed for the plant. It's used in the ESV, but what does it mean? Why do I think that that's important? Because being appointed is assigning a job or a role, typically to someone, not to something like a plant. Things that are commonly appointed are the captain of a team. For Oilers fans here, it's McDavid, who scored a bunch last night as they won. Um, for me, who's a true Canadian fan, it's John Tavares um, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who also won last night, finally. Um, anyway, that's a side note. Um, and then all, other things that are also appointed are political leaders, board members and organizations. All of these things, though, carry weight. That appointment carries weight. There's a bigger purpose. It's created, it's placed for something greater than just itself. 
Where else does God appoint in this book? Well, first, the name of the book, Jonah. He's a prophet. That's an appointed position. The storm that happens in chapter 2. The fish that swallows him up. The vomiting of Jonah out of the fish. He appoints the worm that comes and then destroys the plant. And the scorching east wind is also something God appointed. Things that typically aren't, but are used to try to switch Jonah's perspective to the right one. But if the plant is key, as I claim here, what did God want to accomplish with the plant? He's trying to pursue Jonah's heart. He has his actions and his obedience, this begrudging, acting, and obeying that Mark outlined for us previously. But he didn't have his heart. Appointing the plant is an illustration for Jonah about the overreacting he is doing. He wants to die because of this temporary earthly discomfort, and he's feeling awful now that the plant is gone. But it is just a plant, and it's something that God created, not Jonah, and it's not something in Jonah's control. He needs to trust God and see things with the eyes that God wants him to see them with. Now, God may not be appointing plants in our lives, but if we look at Romans 5.8, a common verse, something that's pretty knowledgeable, something that's easy for us to remember, it goes like this. God showed his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That links us to this idea of God sending something when we don't deserve it. Sent the plant for Jonah, he sent Christ for all of us. This is where we are, we are able to connect to this plant illustration that Jonah has. Still sinners, not willing to see it God's way, just like Jonah, but God's compassion is present always, even in our rebellious times. And Jonah f- knows this full well. He knows the perspective he's supposed to have. He describes God in five different ways in this chapter. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, that unrelenting love of Romans 5.8, and also relenting from disaster. God doesn't actually want destruction. He wants the changed hearts of Nineveh, and I think he wants the changed heart of Jonah. God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and relents from disaster. Have you ever known anybody in our lives that actually fulfills all of these things for us? At all times. Now we may have had people, great people in our lives that fulfill one or two of these things at any given moment, but is there somebody that you can think of in your life that actually fulfills all of these at all times? Maybe you've had somebody come up and put their arm around you as you overreacted to something and said something you immediately wish you could take back, but they respond with words of encouragement and forgiveness. Compassion and grace, slow to anger there. But not relenting from disaster, not abounding in love. God completes all of these things at all times, in all situations. We have all experienced these traits. He's doing it here for Jonah and for Nineveh. Both deserve harsher judgments than they get. But again, God is 
grace. God is compassion. God is slow to anger. He is unrelenting love. So now we see God's perspective. Where's Jonah at in all of this? For God, we looked into the word appointed. For Jonah, we look into the Hebrew words for greatly displeased here and anger. (coughs) The Hebrew word for greatly displeased here is actually kind of a softer translation than, than may be portrayed in the text. Evil and calamity are two words that could be used. Disaster, great disaster. Nineveh repenting is a disaster in the eyes of Jonah because he knew it was going to happen and he didn't want it to. But God relenting is a great disaster. Also something Jonah knows would happen but didn't want. Have we ever had this in our lives where there's someone or something that's prospering around us that we think, man, those people are just... They're not good people. I don't understand why God can allow this. I don't understand why God can ordain this. I don't know how God can let this happen or even how God could appoint this to happen. Jonah's full of anger here, but, it, but it's more of a burning passion inside of him, like a fire that's burning in your heart. Something that we've all experienced last night, <coughs> excuse me, Last night, my father-in-law and I were watching the Leafs, and so there were multiple times where us crazily, you know, expressive people that just kind of sit at hockey games and, good job, got up and, yes, amazing, finally, or finally, they're down one nothing real early, that's pretty great, but then they scored four straight goals, and we were excited, where we, we would yell at the screen and cheer, they can't hear us. This doesn't affect their play at all. But we just have this burning passion inside of us that just overflows and we scream at a TV screen. Maybe you've experienced that at other times too. Or maybe it's a movie that you're, you're going to watch and you see this person walking. Don't go in that room. Well, okay, fine. That doesn't change the perspective at all. It doesn't change anything. But it's this overflowing, this, this passion that just comes out of us even though we know we can't change anything. But that's the anger that Jonah's feeling here. It's this overflowing. He just can't hold it in. He's just so mad. But not only can Jonah overreact, the disciples were good at this too. In Luke 9, we see them telling Jesus to call down fire on those that they don't see to be deserving of grace. These are the ones that are closest to Jesus, the guy that actually embodies God. They can, they've walked with him, they've talked with him, but they still don't get it. They're still responding like Jonah. Well, they have the right perspective. They can see things clearly. I know that I've kind of done this at times where I've sat back, watched, and kind of hoped even that that person out there that's prospering would be, oh, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, fall, trip, 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 something, right? It's as simple as things like that that kind of allow us to start to understand Jonah a little bit more. We too can miss the point of the vine or the plant. It's a parable for Jonah. 
And like the disciples and us sometimes, Jonah missed the point. The vine's not something Jonah helped grow. The vine's not something Jonah had a say in destroying. The vine was something in God's hands. We've all heard the story of the guy on the roof during a flood who's praying for God to save him. Right, we all know this story. Canoe comes by, hey guy, I'm gonna save you. Come on, hop in. No, 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 I'm waiting for God. He's gonna save me. All right. Motorboat goes by as the water keeps rising. Come on, buddy, get in. I'm here, I'm here, I'll help you. No, 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 I'm waiting for God. He's gonna save me. Helicopter comes and the water's just about to touch his feet. Grab the rope, it's your last chance. No, 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 I'm gonna, God's gonna save me. He misses the boat literally a bunch of times. This is Jonah here. He's missed the question, do you do well to be angry, in verse four. And God gives him this lesson of the plant and he still misses it. In today's chapter, the last chapter of our series, we have seen Jonah praying about his displeasure of Nineveh being saved, overreacting, God asking a simple question, Jonah taking his stuff and leaving, God showing care for Jonah even in that. Jonah's losing of his comfort. God tries to give him a different perspective on the matter of the situation, using a simple plant that he's gotta get it now. It's just a simple plant that you had no control over and you're freaking out, man. Jonah's still stuck in his own perspective on the matter though. All of this is great knowledge but it is still just that. The book of Jonah is great for a lot of great knowledge about who God is and how we as humans act in the face of some perceived injustices. We know that Nineveh repented, God relented and Jonah resented, but is that it? Is that all that we can glean from Jonah? It is just that we need to see ourselves in Jonah sometimes and continue on? Is it just that we can be Jonah's too? Is that all that God's trying to say to us here? No. Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. I'm gonna read those now. This is the entirety of Jonah summed up in 11 verses. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point of the entirety of the story of Jonah's reproclaimed in what Christ has done for us. What I mean by that is that it is about grabbing our hearts with the message of Christ's love, God's love for all his creation. Forgetting about temporary earthly needs and looking to eternal needs of all humankind. God is trying to show all of us through the story of Jonah that we indeed do all have Ninevehs. Some of you may remember in week one, Mark ends his sermon with this question, do we have a Nineveh? And now we know without a doubt that all of us, the answer is yes, we do. These are places we don't wanna go, people we don't want to talk to, people maybe we hope get what's coming to them. But that is not what God wants from us. He wants us to do better than just begrudgingly acting and obeying like Jonah has in this book and chapter. He wants us to have a heart for the things he has a heart for. Willing to sacrifice our own interests to see the change in just one person towards Christ. That is the point of Jonah. That we will have hearts so full of Christ that we see our Ninevehs as places we can't wait to go, people we can't wait to talk to, places where we can be the vessel of God's love to the many. So as we close today, remember this. Nineveh repented, God relented, Jonah resented, never turned from his perspective. But we are now reinvented in Christ to go and be his heart-filled representatives to those who don't yet know him. And we can help them gain the perspective as we at West Meadows are familiar with these words, that life is better with Jesus through his grace, his truth, and his love. Amen.